I felt the best revenge was to get past the need for it. And that actually is the mantra of my book, Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, because revenge is such a toxic emotion. I remember hearing a story of a guy that was so angry with his wife's infidelity that uh, he was a contractor. So what did he do? He filled her car with concrete. And, you know, you laugh when you hear that. But where do you go from there? Certainly not reconciliation and most likely an expensive, acrimonious divorce. I didn't want to be stuck in that kind of toxic revenge cycle. I wanted to find a way to move forward instead. And I developed a six-part program. And the first thing I did was to find confidants and mentors who had my best interests at heart. Everything needed to be confidential. You could vent your deepest, darkest thoughts to them, and they would offer you good, useful advice. Welcome to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. My guest today is infidelity author CJ Grace. She's an ex-BBC journalist, cancer warrior, and self-confessed snarky Brit in the USA. CJ is the author of the comic self-help book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, and he's currently completing Hotel Chemo, My Wild Ride Through Breast Cancer and Infidelity. Welcome, CJ. Well, thank you so much for having me on Rebel Love. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to speak to you because what we're going to be speaking about today uh, touches a lot of people's lives. And I think it is super important. And you really, I don't know, I, I don't know if we can ever uh, talk about it enough to the point where, because everybody's journey is so different, right? So our topic today is um, of your first book, Adulterer's Wife, Thrive After Infidelity, Whether You Stay or Go. So before we get into it, um, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about yourself, your journey and how you got to where you are now. Well, you know, in a way, I felt like I was living a charmed life. I had a great job with the BBC. I was meeting celebrities and politicians. And then I got a, a wonderful job to work for China Radio International in Beijing. And that was where I met my American husband. We had a sort of fairy tale falling in love. And, uh, you know, then we moved to the United States. And to be honest, my 25th wedding anniversary was the best one ever. Everybody's marriage goes through ups and downs, but the 25th wedding anniversary was great. We celebrated in Hawaii. We had a second home there. I felt like I was living in the land of the gods, frankly. But little did I know that within two years, both the marriage and my health would be in tatters because I found out that he was carrying on an affair with a woman that was half his age and he didn't want to give her up. And then shortly after that, I got diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time. You know, um, I have that dreaded BRCA gene that Angelina Jolie saw as a potential death sentence. So, you know, in a flash, I was in this brave and terrifying new world. And uh, it, was, it was devastating at the time, absolutely devastating. And um, I certainly wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it, it was a journey that actually led me to having a happier life than I had before. And I would never have thought that. I never would have thought that I would be so grateful 
to both the mistress and my ex for getting together because I'm a lot happier without him. <laughs> That's just the way it is. It took time. It certainly took time and it wasn't a pleasant journey at times, but right. I am so much happier now. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I hear that so often. People are like, it is such a blessing in disguise. At the time it was just absolutely brutal and I was, you know, in tears all the time. But then like you say, like I feel so much better now and your life, it's like that sliding doors movie. Your life could have been so different, especially if you hadn't found out. That's true. And in fact, that's a bit of a controversial subject too for many people because he was unfaithful throughout the marriage with various different people. And I'm grateful that I didn't know he was unfaithful because when the children were small, we had two sons, it would have been so horrible to have had to bring them up either in a split home or with that kind of baggage hanging over us because it's certainly there's no way it improves a relationship if you know that your partner's cheating. Maybe in some circumstances when the the person is let go of and they work at really improving their re relationship, but more often than not, it is a nail in the coffin of the relationship. And so I was grateful that I didn't know. Other friends of mine have said, oh, you know, if I would have known, I would have just left him and I would have been absolutely fine and, and you should always be told and you should always know and, and that kind of thing. But I was grateful that I didn't know. In that case, ignorance was bliss because it was much, much better for the children. Um, mm. And when we finally did split up, the children were already grown and out of the house and although it is never great for the kids in many ways, when they're grown, it's way less of an impact on them than if they're young and still living in the house. Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of people say they would lo have loved to have known. I think it's, I just feel like there's no right answer. There's, there you know, isn't. Every, in, everybody there isn't. has their own journey. Yeah, and it's funny because I do an infidelity advice column on my website and that was just the question that one person asked me. Um, she was married her, her husband was having an affair with a, um, a woman that was married. They all lived in the same town. She was really annoyed that uh, the other couple was still together. And uh, she divorced her husband. She didn't want to stay with him. But she felt that she ought to tell the other husband that her the wife had been unfaithful. And her rationale was, I see them wandering around. They look so happy. And why should they have um, their relationship intact when mine's crumbled? And what I said was, you aren't wanting to tell this man for his own benefit. This is purely for revenge because you don't want them to have a good relationship anymore. You want that marriage to crumble because your marriage did. And is that fair on the husband? You have no idea what the circumstances are of that marriage and whether or not there are reasons or not reasons. And it looked like this particular affair was not a long-lived one. It may have just been a one-night stand or something like that. But in those circumstances, I, I say, you know, look at your motives before you tell. Look at your motives. And the other issue is, of course, if somebody is a serial philanderer, then you've got all the problems of STDs and this and that and potential other um, illegitimate children popping up and all of that. Well, in those circumstances, yes, obviously the wife should know, but there's always a gray area. And I heard some even worse stories where the partners of unfaithful people were told about what happened. In one case, the husband went and shot dead 
both the uh, wife and the lover when he found out. In another case, the husband killed himself. You know, and that is a very extreme example. And in those circumstances, I would say maybe it would be better not to have these people know about it, especially if they're leaving young children fatherless or whatever. So, so as I said, it is a, it's definitely a gray area. There are pros and cons on either side. And the most important thing when you want to consider whether to tell somebody about whether or not their, their partner is unfaithful is to look at your motives and to look at the potential fallout and whether that is going to be a better thing or a worse thing than them not mm -hmm. knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such a tough one. It's such a tough one. I know. I've actually had this conversation with a couple of girlfriends, and um, I, we we asked each other. She she said I would want to know. She said if if I'm ever with someone, she's not she's single right now, but she said if I'm with someone and you find out something, I 100% want to know. I want you to tell me. And I was like, okay, great. I love that it's clean cut. <laughs> so I know. Yeah. And and I think in those circumstances, particularly if you're not yet married and you don't have children, and this is something that you would be thinking about when you are wondering whether you want to get married to that guy. If he's already wandering off with other people at that point, yes, you should mm -hmm. know because this may not be the man you want to uh, devote the rest of your life to. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that um, moves us on to my next question is, and this may sound like a bit of an obvious question, but what um, what was your initial reaction when you found out that your husband was cheating and how did you find out? Well, I found out in the most cliched of ways from a text. And it wasn't that I was looking at his phone. He actually gave me his phone to um, work at transferring it to another, he, he was getting a new phone and that phone's data needed to be transferred over to the new phone. And what happened is at, at the time that I was doing that for him because he was a dinosaur about technology, this text came through and it was obvious what it was about. And so that was how I found out. And I had had inklings that I wasn't really willing to consider because you don't particularly, you, you sort of want to deny these things, even though the signs are there. And when I was sure about it, I was devastated. I was angry. I went through probably those five stages of grief that um, Kubler-Ross talks about. Um, I was angry. I originally tried to deny it. And um I was depressed about it, but in the end, I did accept it. And I used it as a catalyst to make my life better than before. Because what, what happened was that when my ex, he's now my ex, but when my husband found out that I knew about it, he offered me a part-time marriage position. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, I'm not wow. going to give her up, but, you know, maybe I'd be quite willing to spend half the week with you and half the week with her. And amazingly, I even considered that for, for a while because you don't want to break up your entire life, a marriage you've had for decades. And I even, I even first, the first title, the subtitle of my book, Adulterer's Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not, the original subtitle of that was how to thrive if you choose to stay. 
because I was even thinking about how to do it and looking at all those people, particularly celebrities' wives, who do stay. And they're not doing it because they love the guy having affairs. They do it because they love the guy and they love the lifestyle that they're having, you know. But it certainly doesn't make you happy. And after a while, I realized, um, after not too long, I realized, nah, I'm not going to go for this big love Mormon style relationship. Nope, it's not going to work for me. And mm -hmm. um, I decided I needed to move on. Because the, the big thing is, whatever the person says to you when they've had an affair, it is proof that they are not putting your own interests first. They're putting their own yeah. interests and the interests maybe of their mistress first. And mm -hmm. what you need to do at that point is, is to say, well, if they aren't putting my, if they aren't looking out for my interests, if they're not putting me first at all, I need to do that. I absolutely need to do that. So however crappy I felt, I made sure that I stopped and considered that whatever I chose to do, whatever behavior, decision, whatever it was, that I thought, hmm, is this serving my own long-term best interests? And right. it really is necessary to sort of stop, calm down, and think about that. Is this serving my own long-term best interests? Because so mm -hmm. many people in those circumstances, they're going to be making decisions based on their emotions. And that's always a bad idea. You really need to look after your interests. And that is probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give to anybody going through infidelity. It's so easy to make very, very rash decisions that you regret later. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, here's the thing. A lot of people choose to live in open relationships, but this is not, <laughs> this was not initially that agreement. So, oh, right. Um, and, yeah. and I think, you know, Talia, when you look at a lot of open relationships, a lot of them are not 100% consensual. A mm. lot of them, one partner really loves the other one and would prefer to have them in a monogamous relationship. But if all they can have is the open relationship, they'll go for it. So I think that generally speaking, it's quite rare that a, mar that a marriage is totally consensually open. Uh, in my circumstance, a lot of the people that knew my ex because he worked a lot abroad and this kind of stuff, they thought we were in an open relationship because when he was abroad, he would be um, seeing other women. And in his eyes, it was an open relationship. In my eyes, it was definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. That's what, it, you know, what that does to your self-esteem and your ability to trust people is absolutely devastating. And I'm so glad that you decided to close that door because as you said, another amazing one opened and the opportunity cost of you staying with him, you would have lost out on so much if you stayed with him. And now you've got this brand new life and how's it going for you? <laughs> It's really um, great because what I realized was that so much of my personality, my creativity, all of that was sort of squashed in the marriage. I was busy taking care of my husband, ministering to the business that we shared, ministering to the kids, the house, all of that. Most of my energy went to that. And I mm. had virtually none left for m my own creativity, doing what I enjoyed and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it was only when I had that sort of kick in the pants of 
being in effect booted out of the relationship that I started to think about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad. I'm really, really glad you decided to make that decision because I just couldn't imagine um, also staying and just having your self-esteem chipped away like every day. And you're like, nah, I'm done. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't realize a lot of the issues that we had until I was out of the relationship because when you're in it, you don't realize. It's funny because um, one person that I met who knew us both, I I finally um, went to see him after we were already separated. And when I told him that I was separated from my husband, he said, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. And I thought, oh my God, you know, he he didn't think that that, um, the guy was good for me and that he treated me the way he should and all of that. And and people on the outside can sometimes see that even if you don't. Um, Yes. But even so, one thing I would say is that there is this thing that one minute the man is the love of your life and then the next minute when you find out that he's been unfaithful, he's the devil incarnate, but really he's the same person. And somebody who's had bad points that may make you now want to leave and more bad points than maybe you thought he had because you found out about the infidelity. But in addition, there were good points that drew him to you in the first place. And I really do think that it's a bad idea to demonize your partner because it just doesn't serve you. And particularly if you have kids, it's not a great role model for the children either if you're constantly bad wrapping your errant partner. It it just doesn't, doesn't serve you. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that actually because I my mother was very uh my dad had an affair actually when I was 6 months old and left and wow. my and I said to my mom, "How come you never spoke dad uh badly about dad?" and and she said, she, first of all, she's incredibly emotionally mature, which is just such an amazing mother to have, like that's one of her many amazing qualities. But she she said to me, <laughs> which I love this response. She said, "Talia, I figured you'd fi- you'd figure it out on your own." <laughs> And I was like, because I was like, well, how come you wow. never said anything bad about him? That he was, you know, he was such an asshole. And she was like, and she was like, yeah, I just figured you'd, you'd, you'd figure it did, out without me. Did you me. have contact with him? Did he um, maintain a relationship with you throughout your childhood or not? Uh, a very broken one. And he didn't put in a lot of effort. And you know what else she said about him, which, um, which is, is very generous because I was so angry at him for being, you know, really crappy father, joined the Join the parade of crappy fathers. Um, <laughs> and, and she said, she said, Tally, he didn't know how to be a good father. He didn't have that role model when he grew up. He was abused. He had all these horrible things up. So he had trauma when he was a child. And so she recognized that and said, you know, he really was doing the best he could, which isn't that great. But, um, and, and even her saying that, he's actually, he actually died when I was 19. And, you know, it was really painful and it was more painful for more, um, what I'd lost rather than like what the possibility of what could have been rather than what I actually had because we didn't have a huge, you know, fantastic relationship. And and when she said that, when she said, Tali, you know, he didn't know how to to be that person and, he, you know, she didn't kind of make excuses for him but she just kind of, and that, that really, really helped me. She just kind of put it into perspective and I was like, oh, and then I kind of saw him as a human for the first time and was like, you know, I mean, I guess because it was always my dad, not just some guy, you know, that's what I mean by that. And 
yeah, and it was just really, really helpful. I was like, oh, okay. So he really was trying. He just didn't know. And he never had any role models. And he came from a very broken family as well. So it was, you know, I don't know, it just made it easier to accept. Absolutely. I think that 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 was very wise of your mother. And I mean, in my case, my ex had a sort of semi Aspergerish personality. So he would come out with comments without really filtering them sometimes. Um, and that was just the way he was. He, uh, he was what he was. He, he had, as I said, good points and he had bad points. And uh, I think he's probably happier without me and I'm happier without him. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. On a hundred percent. I think, you know, we only have one life and there's many amazing people out there that there's possibilities to have friendships with. And here's the thing too, when I was, I started traveling and I was looking for, you know, I wanted to, to start a relationship and then I met a guy and we didn't have any kind of romantic relationship, but we became very, very close friends. It kind of, I like, I feel like he's my brother. Like that's how close I feel to him. And I feel like I got so much healing from that relationship. And I didn't think it was possible to have a relationship that was so healing that wasn't romantic. And it totally is. And I read something the other day. It was like, you know, soulmates um, aren't always romantic because I definitely feel like my, you know, my closest friend is one of my soulmates. And it's just there's so many possibilities out there for incredible to meet incredible people. And when we stay with people that aren't serving us, we do ourselves a disservice. But now I want to talk about how we get there because when we're in that state that you describe where you're feeling broken and you're feeling angry and frustrated and, you know, obviously pissed off at him. How did you move through that? How did you, you know, you've talked a little bit about you, you decided to leave, you did consider staying, but how did you decide to go, okay, hang on, I'm going to move on and be happy? Like what was the process for you? Yeah. One of the things that was my mantra was that I felt the best revenge was to get past the need for it. And that actually is the mantra of my book, Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive Whether You Stay or Not. Because revenge is such a toxic emotion and you just don't progress with it. Um, Mm. I remember hearing a story of a guy that was so angry with his wife's infidelity that uh, he was a contractor. So what did he do? He filled her car with concrete. (laughs) And, you know, you laugh when you hear that. It's a, it's, it's a great story. But where do you go from there? Story. Certainly not reconciliation and most likely an expensive, acrimonious divorce. And right. I didn't want to be stuck in that kind of toxic revenge cycle. I wanted to find a way to move forward instead and I developed a six-part program. I, at the time, I wasn't thinking, ah, I need to have a six-part program to get through this. Mm, here it is. No, I just started <laughs> thinking about how am I going to get through this? And the first thing I did was to find confidants and mentors who had my best interests at heart. Now, some people might have to go to a uh, professional counselor for that. I was fortunate that I had a couple of good friends who were counselors themselves who gave me great advice. They were, I had both men and women, because I think it's better to have both sexes because you get a very different view from a, from a guy about how to deal with inf- infidelity than you would from a, a woman. And so confidants and mentors were absolutely critical. Everything needed to be confidential. You could vent your deepest, darkest thoughts to them, and they would offer you good, useful advice actionable advice that was helpful. 
And I was very fortunate that I did have some good confidants. I have to say there was one person that I fired as a, as a confidant because it seemed to me that what he really wanted was the next episode of the soap opera that was my life. And um, he would publicize that on emails to our mutual friends. And that was not what I wanted. So, oh, so yeah, he got, he, cool. he, he, yes, he, he got fired from the confidant role. But um, generally, it was very, very good to have those people in my life. And the second thing that I did, which was related to that, was to rebuild my community of friends. And a friend isn't necessarily the same thing as a confidant, but um, it's similar. And I found that most of my friends had been friends of my ex or they were connected to the business that we shared. And obviously, you don't want to be airing your dirty laundry uh, to people that you work with and complaining about your partner if he's the, the guy that these people are working with. That is rather unprofessional. So I couldn't really talk about my circumstances to any of those people. And I found that I had let go all my friends when I got married. One particular example was a girl I had been friendly with at university and I'd stayed in contact. She'd sent me emails and then I'd sort of ignored her emails because I was so busy with um, my ex's business and the house and the dealing with him and all that stuff. So she thought she'd done something to offend me because I wasn't responding to her emails. And that was a wake up call because that showed me that I had let go of all my good friends and I had to rebuild that circle and also find new friends. And that was very, very important. You've got to have a community uh, and a community that's separate from your partner so that none of that baggage is there. So that was important, cultivating existing and new connections. Mm. So I've got, okay, this, yeah, I've got some more points, but I don't want to go on. <laughs> if, 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 I've if, just got a question about that, boring. though. I think, no, it's it's definitely not boring. <laughs> I've just got a question. <laughs> um, so I think, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but I have had some conversations similar to this with some friends of mine. That as we get older, it's harder to build up those new friendships. Now, I was really lucky, the friend that I mentioned that I met overseas, um, we met traveling together. So I met him and then I traveled with him to like a lot of different countries and we, we lived together for like three months at a time. But how do we meet those new people? Because I agree. I think that really traveling and meeting people changed my life. Like when I was moving on from a relationship and I don't know, I mean, I couldn't imagine it being any other way. Like, and I just feel like that new group of people that I'd never knew who had no history of me, and it was just such a rebuilding experience. But how do we make those relationships? I feel like those really good friendships sometimes can be really hard to find. Maybe because you're not having the history of having been to high school with somebody or university or all of that. But to be honest, I found it a lot easier to make friends when I was single or apart from my ex than when I was with him. I made no new friends when I was with him. Absolutely. I think just one person became a good friend when I was married, which is ludicrous. I didn't make close friends from people that I met from the schools that my kids were at, you know, I, none of that. Um, instead, what I found when I was single was that I cultivated um, interests. One of the things, it's also part of the six-part plan, was to find my passion and be more of a hedonist and do things I enjoyed. That was a way to meet kindred spirits. So if you make time for yourself 
and do things that interest you, whether it's volunteering for a cause you really believe in or learning a skill that you want to learn or some kind of recreational activity, you do meet people, you make good friends. And I found that I had made more friends since I was single than in the 30 years I was married. Yeah. So it's, maybe it's in just a few years of being single. So actually, I would say that that's not what you're, that, that it's not necessarily true that it's harder to make friends when you're older. The other thing is that um, when you're older, you have more life experience, you're more comfortable in your own skin and all of that. So you're more relaxed and you can interact with people and you've got things to say to them. And you can, and having worked as a BBC journalist, I found it very easy to talk to people and find out about their life stories and, and connect. There's always some way that you can connect with people. So actually, I found it easier than when I was younger to make connections, which may not be the same for other people. If you're super busy, if your job is taking up all your time, or your marriage, or looking after your children, or looking after your, um, your husband, then it's very, very hard to make new connections. I would say that mm -hmm. that's the case. Mm -hmm. But it's so I, important to make time for yourself. And so many women don't do that, especially if they're in long-term relationships. Yeah. I just want to mention a few places that um, some people have told me. So I know that there's um, meetup, meetup.com. Mm -hmm. It's a great That's place a to place. meet people who have similar interests to you. Um, and also sometimes in local councils, I'm not sure if that happens in the States, but in Australia, there's local council events. Often they're free. And then also, which I just found out, um, never used it myself, but Bumble um, has a friend finder. So some of the dating apps now are actually just to find friends. You can switch the toggle on the dating and just actually find um, other people to be friends with, not necessarily wow. romantic partners. So that's kind of cool too. That's great. I haven't really personally great. tried that, um, but I've heard good things about it. So. Yeah, I mean, and the most key thing is to have enough time to be able to cultivate those people because unless you've got time, you can't make the friends. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, one of the things that creates more happiness in your life is to have a certain amount of flexibility in your schedule. If you do that, then you can um, make your life more of what you want it to be. So. I would always say if there's a way you can put more flexibility in your life, more flexibility in your schedule, you're going to uh, end up letting things in that maybe otherwise you you wouldn't. So that's mm -hmm. important. Did you feel a little bit like when you came out of your relationship, you were a bit like a snake shedding its skin, You like just wanted to start everything over? That's an interesting analogy. I mean, in a sense, it's true, but maybe it's that I was uh, – getting my old CJ back. Uh, when I went to see some friends in England that I hadn't seen for a while, and we were sort of riffing with each other and laughing because laughter is, is a laughter and comedy is a big thing with me. And they said, oh, wow, it's like we've got the old CJ back. And what happened when I was married was that um, a lot of that humor got sort of ground out of me there was a, a very telling comment which my Aspergerish ex told me at one point about his mistress. And he said to me, She's so much more inherently joyful than you. Oh, Amazing wow. thing to say, right? Yeah, wow. But the gosh. fact was, he was right. 
But the reason I wasn't inherently joyful anymore was that the marriage and being with him had sort of squashed it all it out of me. The life out so, of you. So, so you know, it's it's a it's an interesting thing, and and that was one of my um, points in the six part plan was laughter therapy. You know, I gave up watching depressing dramas. I only looked at comedies. And even as a BBC journalist that always kept track of the news, I actually gave up watching the news. And I still rarely watch it because when you think about it, the news is all bad news. Yeah. You know, if you've got a, an area and nothing's happened and everybody's happy and nobody's got shot, well, that's boring. That's not news. I mean, yeah. they don't report on that. They only report on, you know, the bad stuff that's happened in one corner of the place, whereas everything else has been fine. So, you know, I didn't want to fill my head with all of that stuff when I was trying to get out of that um, depressing hole of finding out first about the infidelity and second of all about the breast cancer. You know, I had got over it um, and I felt like I was, you know, learning to become a more complete, creative and joyful person. And then I got hit by the breast cancer and that sort of started the whole process again. And I had to go back into the whole load of things that I was doing to, to build my mood back up again and, and get off the emotional roller coaster. Mm, wow, you've had quite a ride. Yeah. It's interesting that you say you don't watch the news. I haven't watched the news for years. I made a conscious decision not to. I mean, I do sometimes, but uh, very consciously. And, you know, I just want to mention for anyone listening that I am actually signed up to a couple of Facebook bots um, for news channels, one here, ABC. And you can actually, or on this particular one, you can actually select what kind of news you want. So I get positive news really? only. <laughs> oh, yeah, you only so I get, get good news. I only get good, good news. news. Oh, so every wow. Wednesday they send me a, like a little summary and they're like, hey, which one do you want to read? They're all positive. Like we saved a cat. Uh, you know, this child's <laughs> a genius. <laughs> it's great. It's really wow. nice. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask, so, you, so you've gone through, you, you've got friends around you, you're making new friends, you're finding yourself, you are learning to laugh again and, and deliberately controlling what you're consuming media-wise. And how long did it take you to kind of, because you've had a couple of blows, like you said, the infidelity and then the, um, your illness and, and it's, you know, that can be really, really de debilitating if you let it. So how did, how long did it take you to move through your treatment? Where are you now? And also, did you, did you start dating again? Has that happened yet? How long ago was this? Um, well, this was seven or eight years ago that I found out about it. Um, okay. And maybe even longer now, maybe more like uh, eight and a half uh, to nine years ago, I found out about it. And uh, it took probably about a year to really get over it. But I started dating um, within a year of finding out. Because I decided to leave no stone unturned, I um, looked up old friends, I looked up old boyfriends, um, and just decided to, to, to connect. And it just happened that somebody that I knew from my days working as a journalist in the BBC in London um, that I hadn't seen for 30 years plus um, was somebody I really connected with and we ended up having a, a great relationship. And 
we're still together, although sadly he's in London and I'm in uh, America. We've been having a few issues with uh, COVID because that's clipped our travel wings somewhat. But it was wonderful and it, it's, it was such a different type of relationship to what I had with my uh, husband. And it was almost like at the, at the beginning, it was almost like we were teenagers in love. It was brilliant. And later in life, love, midlife love is actually so much better because you don't have all that pretense. You know yourself, you don't have to put on an act, you know what you like, um, and you know how to treat people and you don't feel inhibited and all of that. So it was great. It was really, really good. To be honest, I was really dreading the whole dating thing because I hated it when I was younger, especially when I was, you know, at school, high school and university. I, I was just not very good at it. But after um, f leaving my ex, after we split, it was a blast. It actually was great. And I was very surprised. I didn't do online dating. I just connected with people that I'd known before and I expanded my interests and met people that way. And it was a blast. I met so many really cool people that otherwise I probably would never have met. I know. It's such a joy, isn't it? I, I'm like that when I travel and I meet new people. I'm like, wow, you, you forget how many incredible people there are out there. If you're like in your bubble and you're not going out and meeting people. That's right. Yeah, you're just like, where are they? But then when you go out and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's a whole world out here. <laughs> I've got to get out there. <laughs> yeah, and when you're just, you know, at home and looking after children and all of that, it's really, really difficult, you know, to, to really focus on, you know, making friends. You just mm -hmm. don't have the time. You don't have the bandwidth. It's not part of your um, – it, it's not a high enough priority. It should be a high priority, but it isn't when you're in those circumstances. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I'd like to mention the very last thing on my six-part plan because it is important because – and it's the most difficult. Mm -hmm. And that was about trying to live in the present because one of the big problems when you're going through infidelity is that you start – churning about what happened in the past and you start wishing you'd done things a different way and well what if I had done that then maybe this would have happened and maybe I wasn't enough this and all of that so you start churning that and then also you're worrying about the future you think oh how am I going to manage on my own what about money what about this what and, and what if this and what if that and the past is gone the future doesn't exist all you have is the now there's nothing else so you really have to try and learn to live in the present and I did work at doing that. It's not easy, but if you aren't living in the present, you really aren't living because you're ignoring whatever's right in front of your nose and uh, missing so much too. Mm -hmm. um, so so that, that was a very, very important thing. Oh, and there was one other thing that, that I did, and that is loving my body. And that means looking at what I was eating, making sure I was eating good food, making sure I was sleeping enough and getting a lot of exercise because I found that outdoor exercise was really key for lifting my mood. Mm -hmm. And so I would strongly recommend anybody who's going through the blues for any reason, just get out, get out in nature, move your body, um, try to do at least 20 minutes a day and you'll find that your mood just goes up. Your mood will definitely lift. It's very, very easy to get stuck in that stereotype of, I don't know, you, you've seen the picture of the, the woman who's just been left lying in bed, spooning out the ice cream from the, pack, from the carton and watching television and, and feeling lethargic and sad. 
that's not the way to get out of it. The way to get out of it is to sort of move, go outdoors, meet people, do what you enjoy, you know, and live in the present. That's what mm. I would say. It makes such a difference exercising. I, I 100% agree with that, especially around the trees, get the energy from the earth. It's so Nature, lovely. yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have, I have two more questions before we wrap up. Uh, this has been super useful, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. It, without kind of like obsessing over it, in hindsight, are there any red flags you see now that you didn't perhaps see when you were with your partner? Well, I think that there were signs all the way through that he was having uh, affairs. But as I said, in a way, I'm grateful that I didn't see them because I've got two great children. I wouldn't have had them if I hadn't had that relationship. And I did feel that I gained quite a bit out of it. It wasn't like he was a complete demon. We did do some good things together. And we did have, in some ways, at some point, we had a, a, a good relationship. But there are always red flags that you don't want to see, I think, whenever these things are happening. And if you don't have enough self-esteem, if you don't value yourself enough, then you are more likely to find that, that things happen that, that aren't good for you. And what I learned was I need to feel complete in myself. I need to really value what I can offer and what I can do and value myself. Because if you don't value yourself, how can you expect other people to do that? And so once I was out of that and I decided to be living the life I wanted to live, then um, a relationship came in that was great because it wasn't based on me needing somebody to complete me. Mm. It was based on me wanting to spend time with him and enjoying his company. Simple as yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. That is like so perfect. Um, and one last question um, for anyone that finds themselves in a similar situation to you, what advice would you give to people that can't find the lesson or see the, uh, see the positive in adversity? Um, well, you know, I write about that in my book. So, and the book is available on Amazon, Adulterous Wife, How to Thrive, Whether You Stay or Not. And so you'll find a lot of answers in there. And I also have a free mini ebook, which has got um, some of the material from the book in it. And that is called Overcoming Infidelity Tools to Tame the Roller Coaster of Negative Emotions. And it's available through my website, adulteraswife.com. And uh, it, there's a little button on the top right, which you can press and you'll be able to get it. Um, sadly, most people can't spell the name of my website, adulteraswife.com. Wasn't necessarily a good choice in retrospect because there is actually, there was another site that was spelt a different way that was a porn site, if you can imagine. So what I would say is don't <laughs> worry if you can't spell the name of adulteraswife.com. You can actually also find me by um, typing in cjgraceauthor.com and it'll go to the same place. And um, so that's, that's really where I've got those resources. And in fact, in that um, free ebook, I actually have a mindfulness exercise that uses chocolate because uh, I'm an, a recovering chocoholic. So if you want to find <laughs> out about that, go and get the uh, get the free mini ebook. Um, I don't know but, if that's something uh, you need to recover from, though. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it depends how much you eat, you know. Um, but it if was, it's interrupting it's my one your life, vice. Oh yeah. yes, I love chocolate. I love chocolate. Yes, I'm right there with you. And, and sadly, I, um, I don't want to insult America, but 
the best chocolate is not in America. It's in <laughs> Europe. Sorry, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I'm sure um, people will hopefully start trying some uh, chocolate from different places now. So. <laughs> Well, CJ, thank you so much for being here. It has been an absolute pleasure. This has been so incredibly helpful and you've given some really, really helpful um, and useful advice. Uh, I know this is a situation that uh, a lot of people face and uh, it's not not fun when you're in it. So thank you again yeah. for being here. I really appreciate it. And um, do you have any last words you'd like to impart on our audience? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Talia, for inviting me to appear on Rebel Love. It's been an absolute blast. And um, if anybody has any questions or anything like that, I am on Instagram too. Uh, I'm a fa fairly new person on Instagram, but I have started posting there. And I'm also on Clubhouse. I have an overcoming infidelity club. Uh, so if you want to come and ask questions or participate in any of those events, um, it'd be lovely to hear from you. So uh, that's really about it. But it's been an absolute blast talking to you, Talia. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And you can find all the links uh, to this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP35. Uh, again, rebellove.com forward slash EP35. Thank you again. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast.